Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson, with me as always, Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston. Happy Monday to you, sir. Happy Monday to you, man. Did you have yourself a good weekend? We did a whole lot of nothing, just a bunch of house stuff this weekend. Yeah. We purposely, we actually put on the calendar that we purposely could not do anything this weekend. We couldn't accept any invitations to nothing. It was a, we need to be at home type of weekend. It's a good thing I didn't invite you anywhere. Yeah. I would have said no. Yeah. Problem solved. See, I knew. For the first time in my life. (laughs) You would have, you wouldn't have been able to do anything for the first time. I I typically see that the the problem is both Stephanie and I are always, we're, we're yes people. Yeah. And sometimes we, well, we've been gone just about every weekend or had some kind of plans for what feels like forever. And there was no, there was no home time. Yeah. So the garage, man, that thing was, that was a wreck. I wouldn't have gone in there. Yeah. I had to. Mine's been the same way. I also had a tree fall on my fence at home in the backyard and Mm. I had to fix the fence and cut down a bunch of- people were jumping over it? Yeah. (laughs) I had a wall up around my house and a tree fell on it and- all the people were just rushing in trying to get to my house. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to fix that really quick, get that wall put back up and um, cut down a bunch of other trees to make sure that this didn't happen again because I can't have that wall coming down. You know, you guys know how I am. So With I had to walls, keep that wall yeah. up there. Yeah. Hey, thanks for not inviting me over to come cut trees. <laughs> yeah. I Appreciate didn't figure that. you want to do it. And so I extended you the courtesy of not inviting you to cut down trees. Because you knew of all the stuff I had to do over here, probably. I did. It's, I knew your house looked like crap and I figured you'd be working on it this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of that meaning every single day of the week. So this, if this is your first time listening, when make sure... When we want to. When we want to, we talk about the, those things when we want to every day of the week. And so the, if this is your first time, make sure you smash that subscribe or follow button. We got a few good stories for you today. I tell you what, ever since, uh, ever since Trump got out of office, it's like the news just... It's just not as fun anymore. It's not. It's not as fun. But we did talk about that thing with AOC. You know, she talked about her uh, abuela being a, being in bad shape ever since the storm. Thanks, Trump. Yeah, and it's Trump's fault because her house was falling apart. And well, Daily Wire did a nice piece because uh, some people were sent to interview AOC's grandmother, and and they were stopped and they were explained to what was actually going on. I thought it was pretty interesting. I doubt she'll be tweeting about this one. But maybe her family disagrees with her on this whole idea. Maybe she was trying to uh, just get a couple good tweets out there. I'm not really sure. Mm. It, it all depends on whether or not this article from the Daily Wire is true. Things been AOC. Well, just like her fake photo at the border. Uh, yes. Very fake. Very photo. Go buy her sweatshirt, though, folks. It's Eat it, the rich. It's for a good cause. Mm. Only 60 bucks. Go do it. AOC's alleged aunt disputes claim that Trump was at fault for the Puerto Rico aid issues. Representative AOC alleged, uh, her alleged aunt, the person said that she was AOC's aunt. So they're saying alleged. Yeah. Okay. They went to the house. They went to her grandmother's house. And this person said that she was the aunt. She disputed the far left lawmakers recent claim that former president Donald Trump was responsible for the lack of aid in Puerto Rico following Hurricane Maria saying in an interview that the problem was the Puerto Rican government, not politicians in Washington, D.C. Let's agree that the, the problem is both of them. I don't know. 
Problem is, she didn't identify herself as AOC's Tia. Yeah, that's that's how why it's alleged. Right. Didn't seem very authentic. Right. Yeah, that's that's what's going on. So they said this is what AOC said. She said just over a week ago, my abuela fell ill. AOC claimed in a tweet last week, I went to Puerto Rico to see her first time in a year because of COVID. This is her home. Hurricane Maria relief hasn't arrived. Trump blocked relief for Puerto Rico. People are being forced to flee. Ancestral homes and developers are taking them. The Daily Mail tracked down the home of AOC's grandmother. And when they approached the home, they were met by a woman who told them that she was AOC's aunt. She said, I am her aunt. (laughs) Okay. We don't speak for the community, the woman said. We are private people. We don't talk about our family. The the Daily Mail said that AOC's aunt refused to blame Trump for the alleged problems that many of the victims of Hurricane Maria had with getting aid to repair their homes. The alleged aunt said, quote, In this area, people need a lot of help. Many people have needed it for the past four years and haven't had anything. It's a problem here in Puerto Rico with the administration and the distribution of help. It is not a problem with Washington. We had the assistance, and it didn't get to the people. Mm. So they mm, sent mm, mm. they sent in the assistance, and I've seen a lot of stories about this. They did they did allocate quite a bit of money, but then if the government doesn't allocate that money towards the places where it needs to go, maybe they pocket a little bit. Mm. Maybe they waste some money on some stuff. They store some uh, water bottles in their own warehouses. Yeah, that, got, that were found out. They let all the food expire, stuff mm. like that. Well, then it doesn't actually go to help the people. So. In my opinion, this is looking more and more like maybe AOC was trying to use this as a political tool. It, I know, I know that that's kind of well. Far. She definitely was using it as a political yeah. tool. Well, she was doing that, but it, it turns looked, out it might be a farce. Looks like maybe maybe it was exaggerated. And now she's got herself in a in a kerfuffle. And now she's in a classic kerfuffle. <laughs> if I've ever seen one, exactly. Okay, it turns out guys, politicians just seem to lie about a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah. That includes AOC, who we thought had never told a lie, but maybe she's exaggerating. It could have been an accident. Is anyone actually surprised? N- no. 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 Not no. at all. She'll win re-election. It's not going to matter. Well, these I mean, are just wild conspiracy theories from the far right, anyway. So I of mean, of course. Yeah. That's that's all this is. And she's she, not going to get into it because it's her beloved abuela. No, we're just catcalling her right now. That's her, really all we're doing. Her Tia don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's just a little light starter for you guys. Charlie's got the real story here coming up. All right, this coming from The Blaze. Thanks, Glenn. A federal judge halts USDA program that bans white farmers saying lawsuit against it could be successful. Huh. So we did a long ep- we did a long segment on this just mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago about how so you, some white farmers were suing the federal government. Take the 480 episode challenge if you haven't done it yet. We had a few people that did the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to get a certificate or something. Did you, I'd rather not you, talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> a federal judge on Thursday halted the USDA loan forgiveness program exclusive to farmers of color, saying that a group of white farmers who had sued for discrimination over being banned from the government program had a good chance of winning. Huh. NBC News reported that Judge William Greshbach, Greece Greshbach, of Wisconsin's Eastern District issued an order placing the program on temporary hold, wherein he wrote that the white farmers are likely to succeed in the merits of their claim, that the U.S. Department of Agriculture use of race-based criteria in the administration of the program violates their right to equal protection under the law. This is probably just a white supremacist judge Mm -hmm. up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rick Eisenberg, president and general counsel of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, who represents the white farmers, 
Said in the statement to the Milwaukee Journal, Sentinel, the court recognized that the federal government's plan to condition and allocate benefits on the basis of race raises grave constitutional concerns and threatens our clients with irreparable harm. He added the Biden administration is radically undermining bedrock principles of equality under the law. Now, I, I can I say one thing in there? It threatens their clients with irreparable harm. I would maybe push back on that a little bit, that not having your loan forgiven is not exactly placing your client in a position for irreparable harm. Like they didn't they didn't force you into the loan or make you take out the money to buy your farm or anything like that. Now, it would force you in irreparable harm in comparison to the farmer of color who owns the land right next to you compared to the two of you. You know, he gets his loans forgiven plus 20% for fun. And then you start to pay yours. Well, then you have harm. I don't like the word harm in there. No, no one forced the people to take out the loan. So that's kind of a weird phrasing. Anyway, it's it's just unconstitutional. Yeah, actually. Yeah. The judge's move stops the USDA from issuing debt relief payments to thousands of minority farmers, despite the agency vowing, vowing to begin their payments this month, their payouts this month. Now, see, this is the other problem. Because now you have farmers that took advantage of this, and all of a sudden the judge is going to halt the payout. So then, do they have to pay their? They, do they have to repay their loans now? Well, I'm not. Or sure. Or do they just give the loan money back? What if they already sent? I'm not it? sure if they took out new loans or if it was addressing old loans that uh, that already existed. It depends on whether or not it's one of those. In reaction to the decision, USDA spokesman Matt Herricks issue, uh, said in a statement, "We respectfully disagree with this temporary order." And USDA will continue to forcefully defend our ability to carry out this act of Congress and deliver debt relief to socially disadvantaged borrowers. When the temporary order is lifted, USDA will be prepared to provide the debt relief authorized by Congress. This also happened to me, by the way, from from the SBA. Oh, I was um, I was included in a email from the Small Business Administration to apply for an, an additional grant of economic disaster recovery from COVID from pandemic. So I filled it out. It wasn't going to hurt me to fill it out and see if I could get an extra five or $10,000 to go towards, um, you know, contracts that we lost or different things that like that, uh, um, paying for certain things in the business because of the COVID hurt us so bad, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so bad. And it turns out I got denied because I, my location is not in a socially disadvantaged location. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, my, okay. I, Did you let your clients know that you weren't in a socially I, disadvantaged I, location? I'm not in, in I'm not in a, in a poor enough area to <laughs> okay. receive the funds. Well, people who, people so who virus, are operating businesses in non-poor areas, they still kept all their clients, of right? Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. Because all your clients are in the area where your business is located. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe I should sue. There you go. (laughs) The Washington Post explained the assistance program, which was passed by the Senate in March as part of the Biden administration's $1.9 trillion stimulus relief package, sought to correct longstanding disadvantages faced by black, Latino, and other minority farmers in getting loans from banks and the government. The program is open to any producer who is black, Native American, Hispanic, Asian American, or Pacific Islander, yet white producers do not qualify. I believe the Asians are ahead of us in every single category. Yeah, it's so. true. But the loans were only open, or the forgiveness was only available. They don't have to name all of that. Just say anyone who isn't white. Yeah, Just basically. not white people. 
But shortly after it passed, the Wisconsin Law League, whatever they're called, sued on behalf of five farmers from four states, saying their program for socially disadvantaged farmers is unconstitutional because it is race-based. And it is. Since then, seven more plaintiffs have joined that suit, and separate legal challenges on behalf of other white farmers have also been filed against the program. So, so far, federal judge agrees. Yeah, I, I think this is a good. I think this is a good thing that happened right here, and I hope it actually sticks. And it's not just because of the the racial thing behind it. I mean, we you shouldn't just be paying off all of the farmers' loans anyway. I mean, if you take out a loan and you're starting a business, and that's just part of it. You shouldn't do that and expect for your loans to be paid off. But if you are going to go and do that, and you say we're going to do it for everyone except for people who are white. We talked a lot about this already. That is that's that's not a good idea. I wonder what I wonder how something like this would apply to something like reparations, Charles, because they're saying, you know, it's it's just not available for white people. How do you think they're going to do with the legal battles if they ever try to do something like reparations for people? I'm sure it'll be similar. Yeah, I think the same thing's probably going to happen. I'm sure that could probably maybe tip a civil war <laughs> yeah. potentially. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So I, it's not a good idea to do things like this. It creates a lot of animosity. It creates a lot of resentment between people. It's not It's not fair for a farmer who is white that has a bunch of debt to have to keep paying their debt and a farmer who is black to get their debt paid off. It's, that is not fair. Plus a 20% tip. Plus a 20% on there. They get their taxes paid back and everything. Man, yeah. it's crazy, man. And look, it wasn't fair when... Um, Black people weren't allowed to own land. That's, That's also not fair. Yeah. Also c- clearly unfair and should have been illegal according to the Constitution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and the people that lived back then really screwed that one up. I tell you what, man, if we ever invent a time machine, that's going to be one of the first things I fix right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's going to be one of the first things I address. Women voting. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be one lands. of them too. Yeah. Yep. Me too. My, my wife hates it when I do that. When we're <laughs> talking about <laughs> something from yeah. the past or something like that, I'm like, hey. You get me a time machine, I swear, I'll go back and I'll change it. I agree. Other 100%. than that, I don't know what to do. Exactly. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, from Feed, do you have anything else on that? I mean, we kind of beat this one to death in the episode a couple of weeks ago, so go listen to that one. And we all, we thought it was going to be overturned. I mean, so this is obviously, you know, when you're listening to the right podcast here, of course. <laughs> so we kind of beat that one to death, and it's just... it. I'm not shocked that this is going to get struck down. Now, of course, it'd probably be appealed and go up whatever. I think it, this one might make it to the Supreme Court, and I don't see the Supreme Court holding, uh, or I don't see the Supreme Court um, keeping this alive. No, I don't either. I don't. I I just, in fact, I could see a nine-zero decision. It's possible on the Supreme Court yeah. saying that you can't do something like this. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah, they tried. From fee.org, Mr. Brad Palumbo. Check out the podcast, Breaking Boundaries. Anytime we read something from Brad, I'm going to tell you guys about that, okay? It's it's worth a listen right there. I'll tell you what, man. California Governor Gavin Newsom is trying to pull off a shocking pandemic power grab. Now, the important part behind this, because none of this is, obviously, it's not shocking. We know this. Brad knows this. It's not shocking, really, that Gavin Newsom is trying to do this. The reason I thought this was really important is something that we've been talking about with COVID, which is some people have said that this we have to do this until COVID is eradicated. 
until COVID <laughs> is gone. And Gavin Newsom had literally said this with his emergency powers that he has right now. Okay, so with one of the lowest COVID-19 case rates in the country, a 70 plus percent adult vaccination rate and widespread reopening set for June 15th, the pandemic is finally on the wane in California. But Governor Gavin Newsom is still refusing to give up his emergency powers. Quote, California is set to end the most coronavirus restrictions on June 15th, but Governor Gavin Newsom is not lifting the state of emergency. Local media outlet KCRA3 reports, Newsom is keeping emergency powers given to him by a court in his back pocket in case things go south. Just in case. That's what you do. It's an emergency. It happens. Something's really bad. And then when the emergency's gone, you just got to keep those powers just in case something bad happens. Just a folded post-it up note he's got in his Man, pocket. Hey, you guys ever seen emergency powers? <laughs> I got them right here in my back pocket. So, like a hall pass to the bathroom. The governor said that we're still in a state of emergency. This disease has not been extinguished. It's not vanished. It's not taking the summer months off. And it never will. And it never will. This is, this is really important. We've been talking about this for a year now. This is why it's so important, actually, to get that through people's heads. Uh, because the government has been taking these powers, and a lot of the people in power have said that we have to do this until COVID is gone. And that's not going to happen. So you really have to attack that whole idea of we get to have these powers until COVID is gone. Because it's not going to be gone. It's going to be like the flu. It's going to be here forever. Okay, I'm making that call again right now. COVID's going to be here forever. I hope someday on the podcast we get to talk about how wrong we were about that. But I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, okay? The extent of the emergency powers here is genuinely breathtaking per KCRA3. Newsom's emergency declaration has allowed him to unilaterally allocate billions in emergency spending and change or suspend more than 200 state laws and regulations. Jeez. No well wonder. King Newsom. No wonder he's the only governor here getting recalled at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's pretty gall darn obvious. Under California law, the governor can declare a state of emergency only amid conditions of disaster or extreme peril that are so grave as to likely be beyond the control of the services, personnel, equipment, and facilities of any single county, city, and county or city. The state further requires the governor to proclaim the termination of a state of emergency at the earliest possible date that conditions warrant. Ooh, the earliest possible date. That's very, very strict right there. Quote, if Newsom believes the state is safe enough to reopen, then it's safe for people to be able to make decisions for themselves without his arbitrary and capricious rules, said Scott Wilk, the top Republican in the California State Senate. I believe it is time for him to hang up his crown and restore there our democracy. Hang up your crown. And they're using the old restore the democracy thing, too. It's pretty good. Newsom is setting a timeline on his emergency powers that could let him hold on to them for years or even the rest of his time in office, insisting that the state of emergency can only lapse when the coronavirus is extinguished or vanished. Gives the governor license to cling on to his expanded powers essentially forever. It's unlikely we'll have zero coronavirus cases in the near future, and it's even possible that the coronavirus could become a recurring seasonal part of life like the flu. And see, this is the problem with giving government power. Mm -hmm. This is the, this is the, the this is and and this is also why in the Constitution they only authorize Congress to uh, fund war for two, a period of two years, because any time 
that you can be in perpetual emergency is when you lose the most amount of liberty. Imagine people from the 17, 16 and 1700s seeing this happen so clearly. Could they, could they have ever imagined a coronavirus pandemic? Yes. <laughs> yes, they could have, which is why they put things in place to where these types of situations could only last for a certain amount of time. Speaking of what Charlie just said, quote from F.A. Hayek, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have been eroded. Mm. And once they are suspended, it is not difficult for anyone who has assumed emergency powers to seek to it that the emergency will persist. Of course. That is freaking beautiful, Mr. F.A. (laughs) (laughs) So don't just look at what Newsom is doing in California right now. Remember it. Next time an emergency comes around and your politicians promise that if you consent to their power grabs, it will just be temporary. Just temporary, y'all. That's so, it. Like I said, this, this is not just about what's going on in California, which is egregious. This is everything. The government always does this. You, you give a mouse a cookie and he's going to take $28 trillion. My granddad's been saying that for my mm-hmm. whole life, you know. Okay, so you can't give them a little bit of power. They'll never freaking give it back. They don't want to give it back. Mm -hmm. It makes them look weak. They don't like it. They get to do whatever they want with the money when they have the emergency powers. They don't want to give away that power. And so what? even what F.A. Hayek said, he said that they will seek to it that the emergency persists. And that's an even more dangerous thing, that they'll make sure we stay in some type of perpetual emergency, which is way more dangerous to think about. And obviously he was just a terrible white a white, you know, person probably that was a right-wing supremacist. What like right-wing supremacist I think has a good ring. I don't know why the left isn't using it. But um anyway, that's obviously who he was. A we know white, that. A white wing. <laughs> hey, supremacist. I like right-wing supremacist. I think sounds pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. And look, you, you might as well declare an emergency until there's no more death. Yeah. I we are in a state of emergency until death is eradicated. Too many people died last year. <laughs> okay? Way too many. Until we figure out this old death thing, everyone stay home. Okay? Uh, Charlie has a good news story here. Just a little tidbit while I'm queuing up a couple videos that are pretty important A little feel-good for you. Yeah, little, this is good A little feel-good right Monday for I like you. it. I like it. Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. <laughs> Iovine. Jimmy Iovine. Iovine. call him, yeah. Iovine is good, too. It's a, You just put a little bit on your skin and it... Yeah. No, I don't... <laughs> Iodine. Ivan, Iveen, what is it? Iveen is how I've always heard. I was said. never signed to his record label, so yeah, yeah. Um, this was uh, what record label was that? That was under I Sony. I can't remember which one it is now. It was under Sony, but it was um, oh, Eminem was signed to it. And everybody, he's pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, those two team up to open a new high school that will reach the inner city kit. So this is coming from a local KTLA. That we're talking about here on the WGML. Rap icon <laughs> Dr. Dre and music industry mogul Jimmy hated school. Really hated school. Which makes them an unlikely force behind a new public high school project in L.A. The two, both reportedly billionaires, said they would do and spend whatever it is necessary to make the school, which will be in South L.A., successful and sought after. And a place that will motivate Los Angeles students to be critical thinkers, entrepreneurs, and innovators. The move represents a rare investment by the entertainment elite in the nation's second largest school system, where more than 80 percent of students are Latino and black, and about the same number come from low-income families. 
Dr. Dre, born Andre Young, said he wants to reach the inner city kid, the younger me. He added, here's a place that you can go where there's something that you can learn that you're really interested in. I've, uh, Jimmy explained their vision for the school, which, which was approved last week by the L.A. Board of Education, is slated to open in, in fall of 2022. So I, I like it when people with their own money decide to say, hey, uh, this public school sucks. And uh, we're, we're going to make a new one. I, I like that. Okay? I do too. That's still going to be a, a public school, but it's going to be privately funded. Who would have ever thought that something like that could actually happen? Like mm. privately funded schools. That's kind of crazy, right? Man. And also to do a, a school where, where you do critical thinking, mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurship, innovation. That's exactly the school that Elon Musk set up for his kids and, and other folks that are going to school is they don't you you learn some basic things that you need to learn at school like english and, and arithmetic and you gotta learn how to talk good and stuff mm-hmm. if you want to start gotta a podcast re, gotta read good gotta read good mm-hmm. you gotta know your simple maths and other than that you gotta start to figure stuff out critical thinking i think is is one of the most important things that i feel most people struggle with yeah you're presented a problem, and then you how do you solve that problem? Government. <laughs> well, that's what I learned. Just that's, government. That's one answer. Yeah, I have a problem. Government. But but anything in life, I mean, there there are ways to solve problems. And what's interesting is, well, you can learn from other people. But what's interesting is, is we are motivated creatures to solve problems because we don't like problems, right? <clears throat> yeah. Problems. Everybody's got Wait. problems. Way better than some crab on the beach trying to make his own domicile over there, you know? We well, solve no, real not, problems. Yeah, we're not as good as that. Yeah, it's true. We can't no, close ourselves in a sand. Who could ever? Yeah. There's no way a human could do that. <laughs> you guys got to listen to all the episodes to understand what we're talking about right now. Yeah. We, can, we build skyscrapers and stuff. Yeah. That takes multiple yeah. humans, so it's not the same. <laughs> what the person said on that video, you guys ever seen a human do this? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> throwing sand around... It's so okay. Anyway, <laughs> it was cool for a crab. It was cool. Yeah, cool for a crab. But anyway, no, I think I think this these kinds of things are very important. Just like anytime any other, you know, rich, evil, greedy billionaire or millionaire or whatever uses their own money for the for the betterment of people. And I think that that as that, that that should be your duty as a libertarian, somebody who, especially if you make a good amount of money, is is that you should uh, give to charity in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, that that's how you take care of the people who can't take care of themselves. And it builds a it builds a much better system of actually helping those people in the long run than if we just try to if we just try to take care of every single one of their needs, because then then you just make them dependents. And and that's not what we need. We need self sustaining people who are capable and just encourage them a little bit with some tools and some knowledge to go out and take over the world. And guess what? You can. I hope the kids that are going to school aren't like, who the hell's Dr. Dre? (laughs) (laughs) Who's this old guy? Never heard of him. Well, he's dead, according to Eminem. (laughs) He's locked in his basement. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) Okay. um, 
it and by the way we need to make sure we highlight stuff like this when private people decide to put their own private money their own private fortunes at risk to start things like this this helps us make our case that we don't have to have the government taking care of everything all the time mm-hmm. all right so that it's really important to talk about speaking of not needing the government to take care of something they really want to take care of elizabeth warren just really railing against cryptocurrency right now and of course they have to do this because governments governments in order to control you you look all throughout history in order to control you they need to control the money supply and when the money supply ends up being destroyed or it ends up being inflated that's when they really start to lose all of that control that's when you start to see these countries go into a a big old state of emergency that gavin newsom would never let go of his powers from and so Warren and people in the, uh, the Fed, all of these people that want the government to be able to control the money supply, they can tell that there's a shift happening over the cryptocurrencies. And I realize they're not just viable currencies right now. I'm not going to transfer my bank account over the Bitcoin, although it went on a nice run over the weekend. I'm not just going to transfer my bank account over the Bitcoin because it's too volatile right now. But eventually, I think, I think we will see a shift to people keeping their money in various different cryptocurrencies and governments do not like that and they're going to come up with any excuse that they possibly can and if you got viable excuses like this is too volatile you know or it's not it's not safe uh, the privacy it's been hacked or something like that those are some valid excuses but stuff like what they're coming up right now you can just tell they're they're losing their grasp on the power over the people and they're trying to come up with anything they possibly can to get people to be in favor of regulating these different types of currencies really heavily. So here's what Elizabeth Warren had to say about it. Let me make sure the audio is working on this real quick. We've talked a lot today about the dangers that cryptocurrencies pose to our economy. We've talked about the ripoffs, the instability, the extent to which they're used to help criminals with cyber attacks, like the attack on Colonial Pipeline and JBS. But there's another piece too: the adverse environmental impacts of the computing activity used to mint many of these. Now, before we get past that, I'll say their point to criminals using it. The U.S. dollar is still the number one preferred mode of currency for criminals. There is a lot more criminal activity taking place with the U.S. dollar than there is with Bitcoin right now. A guarantee, you man. Mm-hmm. It's not as if the U.S. dollar stopped criminals from being able to do anything since the time that it it was created okay so it's already a bad argument already these digital currencies in the first place bitcoin consumes more energy than entire countries and it is projected to consume as much energy as all the data centers in the whole world this year one bitcoin transaction a single purchase sale or transfer uses the same amount of electricity as the typical U.S. household uses in more than a month. So, yeah. That's not true. It's not true. We'll talk about that. She's going to repeat it. Yep. A single Bitcoin transaction. That's one purchase or one sale or one transfer uses the same amount of electricity as the typical U.S. household uses in more than a month i think now what she's talking about right there that'll that'll be enough elizabeth that's a seven minute video so that'll be enough 
she's saying that one that's about all we can handle yeah one bitcoin transaction uses more electricity than typical household in the u.s in one month now that is Wrong. a huge huge stretch of the imagination right there what she's talking about is not the actual transfer like if i send charlie a bitcoin right now I didn't just use as much electricity as my house was going to use in a month. That's just a digital transaction that occurs. What she's talking about... Early on Coinbase. Yeah. You what, just plop what, one over. What she's talking about you is... You should the, do that, by the way. You want, Yeah, I'll send you one. Let's Let me test just, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what she's talking about is the electricity that was used to create the Bitcoin, to mine the Bitcoin. And they've taken all of that electricity that was used to mine the Bitcoin, and they've put that in, like, here's how many Bitcoins there are. Here's how much electricity has been used to mine the Bitcoins. And so every time a Bitcoin goes somewhere, it used one however many billionth of that amount of electricity. And so now for every Bitcoin that gets transacted, they're, they're assigning the electricity that was used to mine that Bitcoin in electricity that has been used by Bitcoin. Only it happened during the mining process and didn't happen during the transfer process. Right. Okay, and so... When she uses this stat, she's really, really stretching the facts here because the actual facts are it does take a lot of electricity to mine Bitcoin. It does. And if you want to mine Bitcoin at your house, which you can, we have a friend that's got Bitcoin mining going on at night. You know, it takes a long time. In fact, to mine one Bitcoin, some person at their house that's got some type of a little uh, algorithm going or whatever it is, the, the, whatever software you're using to actually mine the Bitcoin, it takes about five years to mine one Bitcoin at your house, if you're going to do that. And if you start right now, they might all be gone yeah, in five yeah. years. So you may not get a whole one. And so the if you rephrase that, it really doesn't sound like that big of a deal, does it? It took five years for someone to mine this Bitcoin using their computer, going all the time mining this Bitcoin. And so when that Bitcoin is used, it used as much electricity as the typical U.S. household does in one month. Of course it did. It took five years to mine the damn thing. Yeah. What do you think it was going to use? And so that's the stat she's trying to manipulate to make it sound even crazier than what it actually is. <clears throat> so, and I like what uh, what Nicole said in here. If they don't want people to switch to Bitcoin, they need to stop destroying our currency, basically. And uh, yeah, there's electricity used to print the cash. There's electricity used for all types of different things. Okay. But they don't want... They don't want to lose that power that they have right now. That's what they're actually concerned with at the moment. So yeah, they're, that's what they're going to go after that on all kinds of things. And if you think for a second that governments aren't going to try to regulate it, they will. Now, luckily, we did have one country so far adopt mm -hmm. Bitcoin as a as an official currency that can be used, I guess, uh, El Salvador. So thank you to those folks. And, and I think you're going to see a lot more um, countries that are going to have to adopt it. You have to eventually you have to do it because there are enough people in the market that are using them that the governments are going to get left behind. Mm -hmm. I did notice the European union uh, had listed like four or six coins um, that they were going to impl start implementing basically uh, the central bank and things like that in the European union. So those are things you should pay attention to. Uh, I believe V chain was one of them by the way, which is something that's trading at like 10, 11 cents right now. So yeah. that's nice. I've got a few, of those, um, and this isn't advice, by the way. No, <laughs> uh, no, no investment advice whatsoever. But I would pay attention because um, the market, when the market demands something, governments have to get involved, or they'll be left behind, and then they have no way 
of of imposing any regulations or anything like that because it's, it's gone too far. They're going to do some things. The one I'm really worried, if they wanted to crack down, they could crack down on the companies that allow you to exchange Bitcoin. They could crack down on Robinhood and Coinbase and all these companies and really slow down and scare a lot of people. They could do that just to deter people. Uh, they've talked about making sure that people are paying their income taxes on it, which is going to deter some people from from using it just just a little bit they need to deter people and uh, what el salvador is doing is pretty smart really because they want to attract some bitcoin miners to their country they want to attract some bitcoin companies to their country and they can really help their economy a lot by doing that so uh, anyway you're just you're gonna see them continue to do this and that's because governments need to control the currency and they're gonna try and come up with a way that they can control this and I don't know if they're going to be able to do it because they're not going to understand how to do it. And so I am interested in seeing how this fight continues to go. The other video I have here was from last week. This was someone who stood up at a, at a um, uh, whatever, a school board meeting, essentially. And she was talking to the State Board of Education. So we haven't talked a lot about critical race theory we, we talked a lot about it in the, in the past. We haven't talked about it much. But I really like what this mom had to say about it because it really, it really spoke to what we have to say about it, which is how all of this, this talk, this coddling, all of these things are really taking power and what people would call agency away from minorities, away from their ability to really be their own individuals. And that the government doesn't like that either because they need the votes, they need to look like a savior. And what's going on in critical race theory is essentially labeling people as oppressors or as the oppressed, and you're just stuck like that. Like, uh, oh, who was it that was saying last week, Trickle D was saying last week that the, some white lady was explaining to her about how she was oppressed, and she just didn't really understand how she was oppressed. And <laughs> You just have to be labeled an oppressor. Mm -hmm. And it really takes all the power away from you. And that so what she had to say, I think, was was really cool. Let me make sure I have this here video queued up for you guys real quick. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but I, I do think it's pretty, pretty important. Here we go. And watch again. Okay, we'll watch again. My name is Keisha King. I'm a mom of two, one who's in the Duval County public school system and one in private school thanks to school choice. I'm also a member of Moms for Liberty, uh, representing thousands of parents. Just coming off of May 31st, marking the 100 years of the Tulsa riots, it is sad that we are even contemplating something like critical race theory, where children will be separated by their skin color and deemed permanently oppressors or oppressed in 2021. That is not teaching the truth, unless you believe that whites are better than blacks. I have personally heard teachers teaching CRT, and we have had an assembly shut down because Duval County Public School System consultant thought it would be a great idea to separate students by race. This is unacceptable. CRT is not racial sensitivity or simply teaching unfavorable American history or teaching Jim Crow history. CRT is deeper and more dangerous than that. CRT and its outworking today is a teaching that there is a hierarchy in society where white, male, heterosexual, able-bodied people are deemed the oppressor and anyone else outside of that uh, status is oppressed. That's why we see corporations like Coca-Cola asking their employees to be less white, which is ridiculous. 
I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed sta uh, status in America because they are black is racist. And saying that white people are automatically above me, my children, or any child is racist as well. This is not something that we can stand for in our country. And don't take it from me, look at the writers of these types of uh, publications. Our ancestors, white, black, and others hung, bled, and died right alongside each other to push America towards that more perfect union. If this continues, we will look back and be responsible for the dismantling of the greatest country in the world by reverting to teaching hate and that race is a determining factor on where your destiny lies. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Amen. Really good stuff. Amen. I really like this what whole she's... critical race theory is such garbage. It's, it's crazy. It's so ins it's so insane that we're having these types of conversations even. And whatever her name is, Dion D'Angelo or whatever, who wrote the White Fragility. I can't remember her name garbage. anymore. Oh, Robin D'Angelo. Robin D'Angelo. One thing that um, one thing that really bothered me. I know we talked about the Bachelor a long time ago, but. <laughs> Rachel Kirk Connell, the lady who won the show, but then ended up, she apparently is racist for going to a, a pre-Civil War themed party. Um, the ultimate racist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Stephanie had sent me a uh, story of hers where she's back together with Matt now, and apparently. And uh, Matt asked her to go with him to go pick up some food, and he only ordered for himself. But then I started looking, and on her profile, she has um, she has a, a link. I think it's a link tree that has all these links on it. And every single one of those links has to do with uh, critical race theory, basically, and, and all this stuff about how she was such a white supremacist, and she didn't even know it until she read all these things. If you want to join in live and steer the direction of the podcast wherever you want to go, then go to patreon.com slash Liberty and... Get in for as little as five bucks a month. If you do more than that, then your money goes towards advertising for the show. So if you want more liberty to be spread across more people and actually change the people in the country in the right direction, then you'll do the 15. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. The five's still good, too. I'm yeah, just, five's I'm still just good. kidding around. Maybe 30 or 100. Yeah. You know, it's available on there. <laughs> so go sign up. Patreon.com slash Good Morning Liberty. A free way to support us is by sharing the show with your friends, your family, the children, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, mothers. Um, all kinds of people. Cousin, did I say cousins? Probably. Yeah. Second cousins. Second cousins. Mm -hmm. First cousin once removed. <laughs> all those people. Share it with everyone that you know. Because look, if you share it to ten people, if everyone shares it to ten people, then you shared it with the whole world. That's, yeah, that's how that works. Eventually, you guys, that, ever seen Pay It Forward? Yeah, it's factorial. Ten factorial, <laughs> right? Because if those ten people share it to their ten friends, then you get you get yeah. billions. Okay. We'll be the number one podcast in no time. We want to have an R not factor of so this, ten yeah. on the on the podcast. Yeah. So please, please share the show. That's that's the major request. And leave us that rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help those tyrannical algorithms. And if you guys do all of that, we'll be back. You guys have a good day and a good morning. Liberty.